0: Our God is a glorious God. That's the attribute that we are considering today. So turn with me to Psalm 96 as we sing this song together. been some wonderful singing this morning about how great and glorious our God is, and there's none like Him. And, and so I want you to do something this morning, perhaps just like Moses did over there in the book of Exodus. And, and we've already sung this in a, in a way. Open up the heavens, Lord, we want to see you. Uh, We want to see him because our God, again, is a God that's not seen. He's heard. He speaks to us. And if you want to see him, you have to open the word now and, and let him reveal himself to us. Creation does reveal him, a general revelation. But it's his word that gives us a specific revelation of who he is and what he's like. But your desire, my desire this morning, if we've just sung this, should be like Moses. God, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want you to reveal yourself to me. That should be the longing of our hearts if God truly is the glorious one. That he is worthy of all of our admiration, all of our focus, and and all of our attention. He is the gracious God, the most glorious God, the, the most glorious being of all. And so Moses, when he had his encounter on Mount Sinai over in Exodus... Uh, Chapter 33, it was there that he said, God, God, I want to see you, your splendor, your majesty, your holiness. I want to see you. And God said, you can't do that, Moses. You can't do that because anybody sees me, he'll die. So here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll pass by, and you'll see my goodness. Uh, But but Moses, I, I, I am too glorious for you to look upon. And as we gather this morning... We do gaze upon a glorious God, and we gaze upon Him in His word. And that's why we open the word to hear Him speak. If you have eyes to see this morning by faith, God will make Himself known. We have to look for Him. We have to search for Him. He wants a heart that longs to know Him this morning. And I pray that that's your heart and my heart. We, we want to see Him because He's the most glorious thing there is. There's nothing more glorious than God. You would agree, amen? Amen. God is glorious. But here's the amazing thing. When we try to define what it means to be glorious in God's glory, frankly, it's impossible. Because it's beyond our ability to even estimate, to even calculate or understand or or describe with words what he's like in this way. You know why? There's no comparison. There's none like him. He is the most glorious of all. And so there's no valid comparison that we can bring forth and say, oh, he's like this, because he's so much more. He's glorious. In fact, all of our descriptions, all of the adjectives that you and I could contrive and come up with would not do justice to the awesome glory of God. And when you think about that glory, most of the times when we think about it and we read about it in the scripture, what we see with God's Shekinah glory is a a glorious presence, a light that emanates from him, that shines forth. And every time that light appears, it's as though men fall down as dead because it, it's that brilliant light that just overwhelms them as they're in the presence of God. And see, Scripture reveals that to us. It says that's what he's like. In fact, even there, he, he veiled himself within the, the holy of holies. And and yes, that glorious pillar was there and and led God's people out of the wilderness, out into the, through the Red Sea, and, 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 and separated them from their enemies when they departed Egypt. But, but that glorious presence has been veiled and come to us in Jesus. When we think about God's glory, His radiance, all of the beauty that He is that emanates from Him, what God's glory is, is it encompasses all of His greatness and beauty all of His perfections, all that God is. And that radiance that shines forth, that brilliance, that beauty that emanates from Him is reflected in all that He does and all that He is. And it's critical that you and I look for that glory, that we realize you and I were made to glorify Him. When we gather for worship, what we are saying, we are gathering because there is one that is more glorious than anything in this world. And He deserves our attention, our affection, our devotion. And that's what worship is. It's it's saying of something, listen, this one thing, for us, it's this one being, this one God, is worthy of our worship. And so we ascribe glory to Him. We declare glory to Him. We proclaim His glory. And we can glorify Him in many ways. We can glorify Him. In our giving, in our praying, and our calling out to Him, and our singing. But, but it's as we call on Him and we recognize Him and declare that God is glorious, that we bring glory to His matchless name. The Psalms tell us in Psalm 19 that all of creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. Everywhere that sun runs its course today, all around the world, as the earth revolves around it, but as it seemingly runs through the sky, everywhere that those sun rays fall on this earth, God's glory is declared. We saw that last week in Romans chapter 1. It is evident to man. You can't hide it. You can try to suppress this truth. But God's glory is declared, His, his, His awesomeness and His divine Godhead. In fact, that glorious God stepped down out of his glorious presence in heaven and he had to veil that glory with flesh. John would say in his gospel that Jesus, he took on flesh, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And then John would say, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God veiled himself because we, we, wouldn't, we couldn't imagine what it would be like to be in that glorious presence. We, we would need to be glorified to be there with him, to behold his glory. Jesus was the light of revelation to the Gentiles, but he was the glory of Israel, Isaiah would say. And Luke would recount when he came. In fact, when Jesus did a miracle, every sign that he did, all of those miracles were displays, signs that revealed his glory. John chapter 2 verse 11. And one day, beloved, Jesus has promised us One day He is going to return on the clouds. And He's going to return on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then He will take us to a place in heaven, a new Jerusalem. And there His glory will be manifested in such a way that the city, John writes in in Revelation 21, the city of heaven has no need, the city in the new Jerusalem has no need of a sun or a moon for light. Why? Because the glory of God is the light and the lamp. Is the lamp? You see, this glory is something you and I should be looking for in life. We should be living for in life. Isaiah 43, 7 says this. You and I were created by God for His glory. The reason you have life and breath this morning, the reason you and I awoke this morning, the reason you and I can navigate the day is you and I were made to bring glory to God. You were made to be a glory bearer. Every precious little one that's born is made to be a glory bearer. We don't produce the glory, we reflect it. We radiate it. We reflect it back to God. His glorious presence hopefully dwells within us as saved believers. And that glory is to be seen and witnessed by a darkened world around us who desperately needs to know about the glory of God. In fact, Paul would say for every believer in this room over in 1 Corinthians that you and I, whether we eat or whether we drink, whatever we do should be all for the glory of God. Your life, my life, this glory is critical to understand because I'm supposed to be living for it. I, I love it so much because it's, a, it's the, uh, my God, His radiance now, that has changed my life that I should realize I was made to reflect that glory and do everything that I do For the glory of God. The thing is, God won't give this glory to any other. This glory is for him alone. And yet this is the danger. We learned about it last week. Why God is wrathful. God is wrathful, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. Because men exchange the glory of God for the glory of created things. We're inclined to worship something. We, We glorify idols. We glorify things in our life. Some of us have vain self-glory. I mean, just look at social media, right? We make much of ourselves. And and we say, look at me. Put me up on a pedestal. Raise this up for attention, for focus. And yet that's the danger if I don't fully understand and recognize that God is the only glorious one. He is the one that I am to magnify and to exalt and, and and lift up. We'll glorify all of our passions, our possessions, our accomplishments and those things. And if we aren't careful, we'll glorify ourselves. And that's why understanding this attribute of God, that he is the glorious one and there is no other, is critical in my daily walk with Christ. Lest I be guilty of giving attention to something that really is not glorious after all. So I want to stand and honor God's word and hear God's song that he wrote through David so that our hearts desire might be to see the glory of God to understand the glory of God and for our lives to be transformed reading in Psalm 96 and David says oh sing to the Lord a new song exclamation point sing to the Lord all the earth sing to the Lord bless his name proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. Why? For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples, they're not really gods, they're idols. But the Lord made the heavens. And honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Father, may we realize today, Lord, as we dwell in your presence, your spirit among us, within us, That, God, as we dwell in your presence, we are here to worship you, the glorious one. Lord, if there's any rival in our heart this morning to which we ascribe glory, God, may we repent of that today and recognize that we should devote our whole being to you, to praise and honor you, the glorious one. Father, forgive us for our vain pursuits and forgive us when we've glorified the wrong things. God, thank you that there is grace and mercy with you. God, reorder our affections today, if necessary, Lord, so that we prioritize what really matters. And that's you, the glorious one. We love you and we praise you. And we ask now that your word and your spirit would speak to our hearts and that, God, we'd be made new. In Jesus' name, we all pray. And all God's people said amen and amen. Psalm 95, 96, 97, 98. All these songs go together. Uh, they're put together in order this way, because they all highlight a couple things. They highlight worship, well, they're songs, they should, right? But they also highlight our evangelistic efforts, the reason that we go to the nations, the reason that we go on mission, the reason why we, we support those activities here and efforts here with our with our resources and with our lives. Why do we do that? We, we go because we realize all of mankind worships something Not everybody worships the glorious God. Oftentimes they worship the wrong thing. And so because God is glorious and the only glorious God, we go to all the peoples, we go to the nations, we declare to the earth as his ambassadors, there is a glorious God that we should worship and praise because our lives are often spent glorifying the wrong things. Worship exists, listen, because God is glorious. Missions and evangelism exist because worship doesn't take place as it should. And that's what we need to realize. That's why God's glory is so important to us that I'm living for it in my life, lest I worship and glorify the wrong thing. And so David just issues an invitation, the invitation that you and I should be issuing to everybody. Listen, next week, you and I should have invited someone, introduced them to the glorious God that God puts in our path, people we work with, people we go to school with, individuals we live near, maybe even our own family, and invite them to say, man, you ought to come see who the glorious God is and worship Him. Because it may just be the case they're glorifying the wrong thing, some created thing. And God gives us those opportunities throughout the week. Many opportunities. And they should see in your life and my life that we're living for this glorious God. But David issues this invitation. Hey, sing a song with me. Sing a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth and bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. And declare his glory among the nations. You notice there, the earth, the nations, the peoples, the world. He'll say this over and over again in this psalm. These three entities, the earth, the people, the nations. They need to hear the truth that our God is the glorious one. And we issue an invitation to them to come and join us in celebrating Him, to praise the glorious God. Why, why does the Muslim shout, Allah Akbar, and no one gets in a fit about it? But you say, praise Jesus, and they get in a fit about it. Why? Because Jesus is the glorious one and no one wants to surrender or acknowledge him as the glorious God. But we're inviting them to do that. We're telling them you really need to do that. You should bend the knee now while there's time and praise the glorious God. You you praise him because he's the glory of his name. Now, that word glory is the word kavod. In Hebrew, what that means is there is a great weight to the glory of God. When you and I think about how awesome He is, His glory that radiates from Him, the weight of that is so great, we we can't hold it up. It's glorious. And that is what we are declaring to a world around us, the great and glorious God. And our God is a glorious Redeemer. He saves, it says here in verse 2, to proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Today, every day, you and I should be declaring God's great, glorious salvation that we've experienced. Praise God, we've been saved. But that's not just something that happened way back when I walked in an, an aisle and I prayed a prayer. I, I'm being saved every day. Amen. You know, I know that. It's the gospel. I realize that. I'm a wretched sinner. And I die to self and find new life in Christ. And one day, I will be saved when Christ returns and I get a glorified body. His redemption is something that we're declaring good news in a world of bad news. We should be declaring that truth to the world around us. Declaring His glorious name. His glorious presence. His glorious works, all that He has done, these awesome works, these wonders, these awestruck wonders we just sang about, we should be declaring to the world around us that our God is the God who does impossible things, too difficult for us to do, but unusual, wonderful, beyond explanation, that is our God. In other words, you and I should be telling people, hey, come here, let's get the down low. Let's get the 411 right now. What does Scripture say about our God? Here, listen to this information. You haven't heard this before. There is only one glorious God. His name is Jesus, and He wants to radically change your life, and He can do it. And we're supposed to be issuing this invitation because the truth is they're not glorifying Him. Maybe we're not, and that's why we're not issuing the invitation. Oof. You see... Our glorious God, he's going to tell us in three things about him. He's going to tell us first, he's the glorious creator. Notice how he does this and why he does it, I believe. Verse 4, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods, but not that they're gods, right? For all the gods of the peoples are idols. They're not really gods. You see, because it's the Lord who made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And you stop and think for a moment. You see, the gods that mankind worships, right? They think they dwell in the heavens, but really they don't. Our God is the God who made the heavens. He is the great creator who made all things. It's our God, the great God. And he is the God above all gods. There's none greater than him. He is the one who reigns and rules. He's not some little petty deity that man forges with his hands and makes into a God. No, God made us. God made the heavens. God made the earth. God made all things. And God displayed his power. God displayed his ability. God displayed his love even in making all these things and offering to remake them. And He, and He alone, is worthy of our absolute best, because He made us. Now, our praise should be proportionate, someone has said, to the object that we worship. And God's greatness as the great Creator demands the worship of all that has been made. And so we go to them, we say, it's this God, as He says in verse 4, that should be feared, greatly feared, greatly revered. Not the idols of men's hands. Do you realize the idols in the Old Testament, when you study there and you see about Baal or Nabu or Chemosh or any of the others that are there, Dagon, what's fascinating is they made those idols and they would bow down and worship those idols. And those idols would scare their followers into action. In other words, if you don't worship me, I'm going to not let it rain on your crops if you don't worship me, I'm not going to increase your, your, uh, your flocks. If you don't worship me, I'm not going to give you victory in war. That was how they viewed their idols. Our God's not feared in that way. Our God is revered because He is the glorious God. And we can do nothing without Him. He's the creator God, not the created thing. An idol, again, is fashion. They're nothing. They're worthless. They're feeble. We've already studied that over in Psalm 115, verses 3 through 8. They have eyes can't see, ears can't hear, hands can't touch, feet can't go, mouths can't speak. They're nothing. It's our God who sits in heaven, and he sees everything that takes place. You see, their gods dwell in the place where God made all things that's it's a picture for us to realize just how glorious our God is and what we should recognize each and every day now again this is de- the danger if we don't understand the significance of this as God being the glorious creator because when man rejects his creator what he does is he makes himself whatever he wants to be until he dies and then he has to acknowledge that truth so a man can say i'm a woman a woman can say, well, I'm a man. A child can think she's a cat. A boy can think he's a walrus. But the truth is this. God is God and we're not. It's he who's made us and not we ourselves. We recognize that when we come into worship and we realize who the glorious creator is. And we realize all we create is a great big mess. And I want to surrender and yield my life to him so that he can remake it and make something glorious out of it. And only our God can do that. Now when God is there, stop and think for a moment, in His presence, what, he, what, what the, Paul, David has said here in verses 6, he gives us these four attributes or four qualities uh, to describe the presence of God, what is around Him, and the worship around His throne. And in my Bible, I just put one, two, three, four, like a little marker in verse six of honor and majesty, strength and beauty. Because when you stop and think about what's gathered around His throne, and you think of it in the context of this is around the glorious God, the Creator God, strength and beauty, honor and majesty. And you stop for a minute and think about how those characteristics those qualities are often used to describe our idols and you just contrast those two for a moment I mean things that are honorable are things that are lifted up and exalted right I mean who is higher than our God hello Nothing, no one, nothing. And yet, what do we do with our idols? We venerate them. We lift them up. We exalt them. We elevate them. Whether it's a personality, a person, whether it's some actor. or, or I mean, we live in a culture that just loves to lift up individuals, put them on pedestals, and, and ooh, ah, right? But that's our God. He alone is the one who's to be honored. I mean, His majesty, all the regal splendor of our king, right? And yet you stop and think about how, how there are things that, that are ostentatious in their presentation uh, about the way they look and, and all that is, ooh, look at all that. As we parade these things around, I mean, we just saw one yesterday, right? Uh, a king, right, that was crowned in all of the display and all of the grandeur and all of the majesty of the moment, right? Listen, a guy got a job finally after living for 70 years in his mama's house, right? Can we just have perspective? Amen? Listen, he's not the king of kings, y'all. And all the people curtsy and bowing, man. There's only one that deserves, that is truly majestic. And it's our God. Strength and beauty. You stop and think about all the, the power that our God... We just sang it. The Lord God Almighty. And yet, what do we do oftentimes with our idols, the things that we glorify Power is associated with it oftentimes. How powerful is your phone or your computer or your your truck? I got a Hemi. How about you, right? You think about how we do that. We venerate those things. And yet it's our Lord God who is the almighty God. And then his beauty. Who is more beautiful than him? He's the most glorious one. And, And he is the one who is attractive. He is the one who draws our affections or should. And yet, you think about the idols that we make and the way that, that they, we try to make them sleek and beautiful. And, and those are the, the factors that draw our attention to those, those displays of things that really have vain glory. Our God is the one that we should ascribe these things to. Our God is the one who possesses these characteristics. It's our idols that are just tawdry tawdry replacements uh, for a period of time that really have no lasting value. And you see, he's not just a glorious creator, he's a glorious king. I want you to notice what he says here. Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Verse 7, give to the Lord uh, glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory. Do his name, bring an offering, and watch this, come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Why? We come into his court. We tremble before his throne. We recognize in, in, in reverential awe of who he is. Our God reigns. He is the glorious king on his throne. And no one's going to kick him off his throne. No one is going to usurp him. No one is going to remove him. There was one who flew over his throne and thought he was something, y'all. And he wanted to be the one receiving all the attention. But he wasn't the glorious one. Oh, he was a bright star, wasn't he? God cast him down because of what he thought. And he'll do that with any rival that comes up against him. Because there's only one glorious king. That's what verse 10 tells us. He reigns. And see, all of the earth, all of the nations, they need to hear that. Say among the nations, as it says in verse 10. All of the earth tremble before him, verse 9. Tell all the peoples, what? That our God reigns. You see, this is the missionary impetus to realize You probably are worshipping something that is created rather than the creator. You probably have your own little kingdom rather than surrendering to the king who reigns and rules. And he is calling you, inviting you to come be a part of his kingdom. By the way, it lasts a lot longer. And it's far more beautiful. In fact, he doesn't just want you to become a part of his kingdom. This king says, listen, I'll make you an heir and a joint heir of this kingdom. (laughs) What an amazing thing. All because of who Christ is and what He has done for us. And this King is worthy of our tribute. That we come to Him, we give to Him, we ascribe to Him, we declare to Him, we count it down, we mark it out. There's no God like our God. He has the strength, He has the beauty, He has the glory. The glory of His awesome name that never changes. And your life and my life should be bringing and heaping that praise upon Him. But it's not just our lips that declare this. He says, even bring an offering and come into His courts. Why? Why bring an offering if we're giving Him praise, if we're declaring His strength, if we're declaring His glory, if we're bringing that all over and over and over to Him about how awesome our God is. Why bring an offering? Why? Well, I think King David tells us why. King David said, I'll never... I don't want to appear before the Lord empty-handed. Why do I come and I give to Him? I give and I say thanks. Why? Because if I don't, it's quite possible that all of that that I would should be giving to him, in my tithe and my offering, listen, is being used for something else I'm glorifying. Arrival. Now let that sink in for a moment, Church. Listen. I'm not mandating anyone give. God does. He's the one who says that. And our giving is a reflection of what we really glorify. Whether we put our treasures in heaven or here on earth. Whether we're realizing, I'm glorifying Him. What I was made for. Or I'm glorifying something here on this earth. And some of us need to repent and say, God forgive me. Because I've been holding on. For my little kingdom and those things that I glorify in my life. Rather than glorifying in you and your kingdom and investing in it. We bring, we come, we worship, we tremble. We give God glory with our lips, with our hearts, with our hands. With our whole being we bring this into his presence. And we say here I am. and I don't deserve to be here. Praise God I am. Why? Because I bent the knee and I said God have mercy on me. I'm a wretched sinner. My little kingdom, it's a mess, Lord. I've reigned and ruled my little crown, my tiara. And look at what I got. Nothing. But your kingdom is so much better. And your king, your son, is the one who came to save me. And I want to surrender to him. Stop and think for a moment. You see, the psalmist tells us over in Psalm chapter 2 that the kings of this earth, the people of this earth, they shake their fists at him. They don't want to surrender to the king. Let us tear the fetter, the chain. We don't want to have to be obligated to him for anything. And yet he just looks down from heaven and he just laughs. And goes, Are you for real? Come on. Seriously. And that's why the invitation there is, listen, you better do homage to the son while there's time. Kiss the son. Kiss the son that he might bless you because there's judgment coming. You see, we praise a glorious creator. We praise a glorious king because also he's a glorious judge. That's how he concludes this. Look at the second half of verse 10. "The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens and uh, the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. All of creation is celebrating this. Why? Let the field be joyful, and all that is in it, then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. Why? Because he's coming. He's coming to judge the earth. He, he shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with truth. Now, I took my Bible. I have a mark, I have a pen here, and I marked this in verse 10. He shall judge. I circled judge there, and I drew a line down to verse 13. He's coming to judge, and, and he shall judge. I circle there. You know, if God says something three times, I'd pay a close attention. Amen? He's the glorious judge. Why, why does the judge have to come? Here comes the judge, right? Why does he have to come? You see, God has revealed himself as a glorious creator, but men suppress that. They reject it. God has revealed himself as a glorious king. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth, right? He's a king who reigns and rules. He's the king of kings. He could have have called 10,000 angels, right, if he wanted to. He he was the one who was born king, the one that we should have expected to be the king, the promised king, the, the son of David that was expected. And yet not everyone acknowledges that. But it's also this king, this glorious creator, this glorious king, that one day is going to be a glorious judge. And he's going to judge all things. In fact, Paul says to the Athenians over in Acts chapter 17 and verse 31, it says, listen, truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Who is that man? He has given us assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Who was raised from the dead? Jesus Who's going to judge all things? Jesus. Who made all things? Jesus. Who's the king over all things? Jesus. He is the glorious creator, king, who will judge all things. Flip over with me just for a second over to Psalm 94. Just flip a page there over to Psalm 94. Let's listen to this about the judge. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. O God, to whom vengeance belongs. Shine forth. Why? Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. How long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. Watch this. You break in pieces. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Yes, he does. And one day he will right the wrongs. One day he will vindicate and validate our faith. One day when he comes, he will bring vengeance upon all those who have rejected him. He comes to reestablish his reign. It's been affected because of the fall of Adam. He is going to come, and the second Adam is going to come, and he's going to reign, and he's going to rule and establish that with a righteous scepter, as the book of Hebrews tells us. Why? Why? Over in Psalm 96, it says it, The heavens, the earth, let the sea roar, the field be joyful, all the trees rejoice. Why? Because all of creation groans to be set free from the effects of sin. And only will that happen when the judge comes. All of creation will be set free. The fall will be reversed and the sons of glory will be revealed in that day. And the judge, the king, the creator who reigns and rules will be on his throne. And he will reverse this and restore the order that should be taking place so that people are not exploited, people are not taxed beyond their means, people are not dumbed down so they can be manipulated. No, God will come and he will reign righteously on this earth, and all the tyrants of the earth in that day will have to face him because they've subjected the people to undeserved evils, and a king is coming to make it all right. That's what we know, and it's our glorious God that is going to do that. And you and I should be praising him and celebrating that. Even when we suffer injustice, even when something bad happens, we know ultimately, just like Jesus, who did he entrust himself to? His Father. He's the example for us. We know one day he will right all the wrongs. Sometimes it's difficult to navigate life that way. That's why having the glorious presence of God in my heart and in my mind and seeing it in His Word, the God that I worship, and walking through this earth and seeing His glory declared everywhere around me is so critical for our life. It helps guard my heart from worshiping the wrong things and glorifying them. It helps me to be yielded and surrendered to His will and His plan and what He's about because I can be still and know, as David says over in Psalm 46, that the God who sits on His throne, even when it's chaotic, He will be glorified in this earth. And the other promise I have is not just that he will bring glory to his name, but as a child of God, as one who loves him, listen, he will work things together for good in my life too. Praise God. There's none like our God. We need to sing a new song of this today. It's not like we got to pen a new song. Sometimes it's just I need a new expression and realization of all the truth because I've had a new experience today. And I realize my God hasn't changed, but I need to. And that's our glorious God. Now, you see, mankind thinks and knows God in these three ways. Either he, they know Him as the Creator. Now, listen, they, all the creation is speaking, and there is a sense in which they all know Him as Creator. Some suppress that. They try to hold that truth down. The, light doesn't, the darkness doesn't like the light. It tries to hold it back. But they know. They can act like they don't know. They can say, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm ignorant. I don't know. Yeah, you are ignorant. Right? It's the fool who says in his heart there is no God. No, it's evident. It's there. But, but if you don't recognize that, then you're in danger. Those who do recognize that, they recognize he's not just the glorious creator. He's also the glorious king. He reigns and rules in heaven. He does whatever he pleases because he's the maker of all things. And, and, and he's not just the king in heaven. He's the king in my heart. I've bent the knee and I've said, come, Jesus, reign and rule in my life. I, I surrender to you. I repent of my sin. I, I don't want to be in dominion, under its dominion any longer. But now I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. And as I turn from sin to him, I discover my faith and trust is in the King who died for me. But if you don't acknowledge that, if you reject the Creator, if you re- reject his reign, one day you will be judged. And you can't reject that judgment. You see, over in the book of Revelation, it says there in chapter 20 that there is a second resurrection, but it's not to life, it's to death. It's a resurrection for the great and the small, uh, people from all walks of life. When they're raised there for the great white throne judgment, there's no hope for them. Why? Because all of their works are going to be judged in that moment. There's a book in many books. There's a book, the Lamb's book of life, and whoever's name is not found written in it has no life those who, all their books that are open and read, when they're read, every mouth is shut. No one has a case to make before this judge. And that's why it's imperative now to get our lives right now where we come and we say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of the glory of God. And God, I can't make myself good enough. I can't make myself right, but I see Jesus. And by faith, I want to put my trust in his sacrifice and ask him to save me from my sins. And God, I pray that you would would change my life, that you would transform my life. And I do that by repentance and faith in Christ. And when the Spirit of God convicts me of that, and I recognize that, then I obey him, I obey the good news, I obey the gospel, and I make a decision to follow him as my Savior, and as my King. And if you've never done that, then today's the day to do that. Don't you realize the glorious God who's made everything around you and made you? He's made you for His to reflect His glory, to radiate it, to be a part of His kingdom, and He invites you to do that? Why not take Him up on that? In fact, that's what we do at the end of the service. We extend His invitation as His ambassadors. We we implore you, be made right with God while there's time. And for those of us who have, it may be the case today that we need to do some repentance as well because you know what? We've glorified in all the wrong things. We've gloried in them. And maybe even vain, selfish self-glorification. That's the worst of all. And maybe that's why there's a time on the altar where we just say, God, forgive me. I, I realized this morning, Lord, I've been trying to make a name for myself instead of just surrendering and yielding to you and what you would have for me, my maker, my remaker. And so today, just turning in repentance and saying, God, You're a gracious God, a merciful God, a glorious God. And I just want to celebrate who you are and what you've done.